0: Please remain standing and join me in reciting the Shema, which our Lord Jesus would have recited every day of his life. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad, Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This morning we find ourselves again in the 10th chapter of Luke, now reading the full passage of the story of the Good Samaritan. Hear now the word of the Lord. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply to this, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. As we continue our sermon series on neighboring, I kept thinking of this passage this week and thinking of an experience I've had with a neighbor. My wife and I moved into a neighborhood about two years ago. It's an old craftsman-style house that we did a lot of work on ourselves, and over those years, we've gotten to know some of the neighbors. And in the last few months, I've had an interesting occurrence with our immediate next-door neighbor, At different times of the weekend, or when I get up in the morning to go get the trash from the curb, or when I come home at the end of the day from work, I happen to see her out walking her dog, and they have a little route that hits about three blocks, and the dog tends to stop at my house before he goes home, and he kind of takes care of things in my front yard. Over these past few weeks, I had this interesting occurrence where I happened to be coming or going to the house while the dog was finishing his walk, and while my neighbor, I noticed, was not walking with one of those little baggies. And I got furious. And finally, I came out and asked the neighbor to address this with a bag. I started doing things like researching online what the fines are for dogs using their neighbor's yards. I started thinking of creative ways I could use the dog's response to respond back to my neighbor, to which my wife fortunately replied, please do not pick a fight with our neighbor. So this week when I was reading the scripture for this morning, I thought it was rather ironic how fast I could become escalated with the person that lives literally right next door over something as small as her dog using my grass. I have another neighbor down the road who lives on the corner that juts out into the street and I pass his house every day when I drive home and from his front porch hangs this ginormous Texas A&M maroon flag. I am the middle of three boys both my parents, my older brother, three aunts, and two uncles of mine all attended the University of Texas. I grew up going to football games and draped in burnt orange. So when I see the maroon color, let alone an A&M flag, I become frustrated and angry. Every day I drive by this flag. Every day when I come home, I see this flag hanging and calling out to me all the things I have learned over the years of this school that I do not really like. A few weeks ago at National Night Out, I met a na- man named David Garza who happens to live in this house. And we got to talking, and I got to know him before I even discovered which house he lives in and that he is the owner of this giant flag. It turns out David did not even attend Texas A&M University. Instead, he went to St. Mary's. He's a proud local alum, but his son went to A&M. And he's so very proud of his son and what his son has done through education and successful work that he hangs that flag every day of the week from his front porch and follows the Aggies football all year long. Suddenly, after meeting David and hearing of his story, I pass by that flag with a different feeling. There is something about connecting with our neighbors and getting to know them, getting past the arm's length transaction of seeing them just as the issues that they support and identifying them instead as people. Our passage this morning speaks to this In a time long, long ago, in a land far, far away, people acted just the same way we do as church-going United Methodists today, and the Son of God came to them and spoke to them about this. He addressed the lines they draw in the sand just like I draw with my neighbors, and he took his hands that would later be pierced by those nails in the cross, and he mixed all those boundaries that the people placed in their lives. And what was left, a picture of love that was so unexpected that the people of today would be shocked and offended. They would find it way out of line. See, friends, our passage this morning is most like much of the Bible. The main focus of the whole thing is love, and in fact, God's love, a love that we have to be reminded of, in my experience on a daily basis, or I am apt to pick fights with my neighbor or plan to bring retribution on them for the things their dogs leave in my yard. This story is not complicated. There aren't a ton of rules. In fact, Jesus is shattering the people's views of where they have drawn their lines in their lives on right and wrong See, the Samaritan would be viewed as a Jewish person, as an outsider, and in some ways not even having standing as a citizen or a person, and certainly not someone within the love of God. So how does this story read in today's language? Who is the person that we see as the other? Who is our rival? Who is the person that we don't even consider as a citizen or a person, or much less someone outside of the love of God? And then Jesus, as he so often does, turns the story on his head and said to the Jews that love their law so much, the one who follows the law is the one you see as an outsider. More than that, not just follows the rules, But if we are willing to go so far as to put ourselves in the ditch in the story, that outsider is the one who pulls us out of the pit. Are we able to see them as people and not just the issues they represent? And more so, are we able to be in relationship with them and receive their love? I have a friend that works... With interfaith dialogue, and shortly after 9-11, he was having a conversation on interfaith dialogue that involved Muslims. And after the meeting, he invited the group to a Texas ranch for a bird hunt. On the ranch was a local ranch hand named Joe, who was from the local small town and lived in the area most of his life, and had never encountered a Muslim himself. But after 9-11, you can be sure he did not have the most positive views of Muslim people. Throughout the weekend, he was surrounded by this group of very diverse folks. And at the final night, sitting around the campfire, the ranch hand told the group of his story growing up in this small town of the heartache he suffered in 9-11 and the grudges he held against the Muslim people. And at the end, he said... I never knew a Muslim person before this weekend, but after spending three days hunting birds in South Texas with you all, as far as I'm concerned, you're good in my book. Who are the people that we see so outside the love of God, so out of bounds due to their issues on certain things that we try and limit them not only from our lives, but from other things as well is it a basic ut and a and m rivalry is it things like classic political divides republican and democrat is it our faith our church our worship styles is it the symbols that represent them or dare i say it our sexuality Jesus calls us to learn to love all as God does. This is the invitation to us in this story. God names the nameless person, the person we put out of sight and out of mind, and that we oppress, and highlights them as the person living in his love and sharing that love with all. In my experience, when I get to know the outsider, When I cross that boundary and go talk to David from down the street, I discover he's no longer the outsider, and it's much harder for me to draw my own lines to exclude him. Like me with my neighbor, like Joe with his Muslim visitors, when we reach out to the people we know to neighbor them and love them and care for them, it makes it much easier to see them as people— and not just issues. Notice the Samaritan doesn't ask the man beaten, left for dead, what school he went to, or which way he votes, or how he worships, or what his sexuality is. He just loves the neighbor in front of him. I did a lesson recently with the eighth grade confirmation class. And we were talking about the fact that God loves all people. So I asked them, if a stranger were to walk into the room in two minutes, what could we tell them about the person? And I asked if we could say that God is a friend of theirs, that God loves them. And so we quickly got to the question of bin Laden, their version of does God love all people? Or as we would say, does God love Hitler? And with this room full of eighth graders, we decide that God loves all. And we see this reminded in our passage this morning. The second greatest command is that we join him in loving all people, even those whom our society sees as totally outsider. In my experience, it's this relationship that is the key. Once we get to know the person, it's very hard for me to hold them as an outsider. See, God does not call us to be right fighters on the issues. He calls us to love people. One of my favorite lines from scriptures says, They will know you are my disciples by how well you know my rules. No, in fact... Jesus highlights something totally different for us. After washing the disciples' feet, Jesus says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus doesn't show up trying to tell people where the lines in the sand are and how they have broken the rules and what they have done wrong. Jesus and the good Samaritan shows up to love us all. Biblical scholars remind us that this passage that we read this morning shouldn't be read separate from the subsequent passage of Mary and Martha. Martha is doing a good thing, preparing food for her guests, the Son of God himself, And Martha engages in classic triangulating. Jesus, will you tell my sister to help me wash the dishes? If you have siblings, you've certainly done this. And Jesus responds, Mary has chosen the one good thing, and it will not be taken from her. She is sitting at Jesus' feet. There is a reminder in these two passages for us not to become the Martha going around telling everyone what they're doing wrong. Instead, to go cross the boundaries that we draw in our own lives and in society and simply love on someone. It occurs to me that the person pulled out of the ditch, his life was saved by the Samaritan. But when you are the person who gives that type of love, your life is changed forever. This love unlocks us from hate and judgmentalism. We engage in the love that God that knows no bounds and it frees us from so much division and frustration and anger. And we stop seeing the other as the other and start seeing them as a person. As Jesus reminds us, there are no lines to my love. This week I went to vote and there were no soldiers or guns in the street. I wasn't pressured to vote in a certain way and I stood in line with neighbors that I had grown up with and we talked and laughed and joked and we didn't ask who we were voting for or take sides one or the other. We just had relationship and the relationships were more important than the issues we voted on that day. Friends, I think that is the picture that Jesus invites us to and gives us a chance for at this table. I keep coming back to that picture this week of the table where Jesus stands and invites us all. Many of us know the liturgy we we use where we say, this is not a Methodist table, this is Christ's table, and God welcomes us all. At this table, we encounter a love of God that is big enough for everyone. I am excited at the things that God invites us to. I'm excited about the basis of the love that God gives us that covers all. May the love and peace of God that overcomes all things fill us all as we are on this journey together in the amazing love of God. Amen.